0: Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good day, my bed crimers. I hope you guys are all doing really well. To anyone new, a very warm welcome. Thank you for checking me out. If after listening to this video or watching it, you find you enjoyed it or learned something, please do me a favor. Hit the like button. It really helps me so much. And also consider subscribing. Now let's get started. The Idaho Statesman newspaper is reporting that suspect Brian Koberger, who is charged in the case of the four slain University of Idaho students in Moscow, told a fellow Washington State University, or WSU, graduate student who was living in his same apartment complex, that he submitted his DNA for consumer genetic testing to explore his ancestry. Per the article, Koberger's neighbor, who asked not to have his name shared, became acquainted with the criminology student while crossing paths a handful of times after they each moved into the Steptoe Apartments in August. Hang on! Everyone's been assuming that Koberger moved to Pullman, Washington in June, because that's when he opened his at and account for his cell phone. But it turns out, if we are to believe this neighbor, Koberger didn't move into his new digs at 1630 Northeast Valley Road in Pullman until August First, Thus, Koberger could not have been surveilling the victim's house in Moscow as far back as June of 2022. According to the probable cause affidavit, Koberger's cell phone data showed his phone pinging off a cell tower in Moscow on at least 12 occasions prior to November 13th. One of those times was on August 21st between 10.34 p.m. and 11.35 p.m., so well after sunset. It makes me wonder if this was the first time Koberger surveilled the girls near their off-campus rental home at 1122 King Road. I'm also wondering if he became aware of one or more of the female victims during the period between August 1st, when he first moved into his new apartment, and August 21st, when his cell phone pinged off the tower near the King Road residence. I want to say yes, because it would be convenient to narrow down the timeline for that, but we don't know if Koberger was following one or more of the girls on social media prior to moving to Washington. Some people look for new friends in advance of a move by searching on, say, Instagram for people who live in that area. You can do this on dating sites as well. Maybe Koberger was looking for new friends in Washington while he was still in Pennsylvania packing. August 21st is also the day a deputy from the Lataw County Sheriff's Office pulled Koberger over in his 2015 white Hyundai Elantra for a traffic violation on Farm Road and Pullman Highway. That traffic stop took place at 11.39 p.m. Just two minutes after, Koberger's phone stopped pinging off the cell tower near the King Road residence. So in just a two-minute drive away from the girl's house, Koberger's cell phone switched from the cell tower in Moscow to another cell tower, likely one serving the Pullman area. By the way, Koberger's Elantra was still boasting its rear Pennsylvania license plate at this time. It did not have a front plate because Pennsylvania doesn't require one. During this traffic stop, Koberger gave the officer his cell phone number, the same number law enforcement would later use to track his movements on the night of the crime and in the weeks and months leading up to November 13th. That cell phone number is part of what I think of as the triangle of evidence tying Koberger to the crime. The other two points of the evidentiary triangle are surveillance camera footage of a white elantra with no front license plate traveling near the king road residence it's easy to assume that was coberger's elantra and the single source dna on the leather sheath found on victim maddie mogan's bed back to the neighbor that spoke to coberger i almost forgot about him geez he's just standing by in the wings waiting for his time on stage. Sorry. That neighbor said upon meeting Koberger on August 1st, he traded cell phone numbers with him. Per the neighbor, the longest interaction he had with Koberger was on the first Friday night of the fall semester when they spent about an hour chatting. So that would have been in late August, just two days before Brian Koberger's late-night traffic stop in Moscow. The two grad students ran into each other that Friday in the Steptoe apartment's large parking lot next to their buildings. The neighbor said that Koberger then asked him if he wanted to walk and talk. So the two guys got to know each other a little while taking laps around the asphalt parking lot. That's funny. I would never ask a person I just met to walk and talk in a parking lot with me. But then again, I'm shy. During their discussion, Koberger asked his neighbor, who is not from the United States, if he could identify Koberger's ancestral background the neighbor said he guessed Italian before Koberger stated that he was of German descent. Dude was way off. I wonder why he said Italian. Did Koberger share his last name before asking this guy that question, or was the neighbor working only off of Koberger's appearance? Neighbor told the Idaho Statesman this about Koberger, and I quote, he talked about his ancestors. He had some sort of DNA test. I don't know how he got to that point. It was just interesting to him. End quote. Now, that is very interesting. Can this new info shed light on reports that investigators used public genealogy databases to search for the perpetrator, of the case in Moscow. They have never said which databases they used to land on Brian Koberger as the alleged perpetrator. Remember, sometime after the crime, crime scene investigators located a single source of male DNA on the button snap of the K-Bar brand leather sheath that was lying near Maddie Mogan's body. So, does this mean that the investigators did not run that mystery single-source DNA from the sheath through any public genealogy databases back in November? If they had, you'd think they would have discovered Brian Koberger much sooner. But of course, that would be dependent on whether Koberger was telling the truth to this neighbor about having his DNA tested. In light of this new information about Koberger having his DNA tested, maybe, at some point prior to August 21st, let's revisit the timeline of events. August. August 19th, Koberger tells his new neighbor friend that he submitted his DNA for familial DNA testing at some point in the past, and he'd found out from it that he's of German descent. All is silent for a few weeks, as Koberger attends classes, teaches, and his life goes on. Sometime around November 1st, about two weeks prior to the crime, Koberger begins messaging one of the female victims who lived at the King Road residence. His first DM on Instagram to this female is something like, Hi, how are you? When Koberger doesn't hear back, he keeps messaging this female, all to no avail. She never gets back to him. Two weeks later, on November 13th, Maddie Mogan, Ethan Chapin, Zana Kornodal, and Kaylee Gonsalves are discovered deceased in the King Road residence, all showing signs of being attacked with a sharp-edged object. At some point after November 13th, we the public don't know the exact date, crime scene investigators at the King Road residence discover that single source of DNA on the snap of the sheath that was lying next to Maddie on the bed. The mystery DNA is then run through CODIS. CODIS stands for the Combined DNA Index System. All convicted offenders in the United States have their DNA entered into this repository. The mystery DNA doesn't match anyone in CODIS. Whoever that DNA belongs to, has not been previously arrested in the United States. Now let's jump ahead to November 25th. That's when the Moscow police put out a bolo, or a be on the lookout, to aerial law enforcement agencies. They're asking for help finding a circa 2011 to 2013 white Hyundai Elantra. Four days later, A November 29th police officer who works on the WSU campus where Koberger goes to school researches white Hyundai Elantras registered at the university. About a half hour later, another WSU officer locates a white Hyundai Elantra in the parking lot of an on-campus apartment complex, but it's a 2015 Elantra. So it doesn't quite match the bolo. The officer queries the vehicle's Pennsylvania license plate and finds it belongs to someone named Brian Koberger. This is the day Koberger, unbeknownst to him, turns up on law enforcement's radar for the first time in a possible connection to the crime in Moscow. December. It is not until a week later, on December 7th, that the Moscow police ask the public for help in locating the driver of the white Hyundai Elantra, the 2011 2013 Elantra. Maybe they did this because Koberger's car was a 2015 and they still felt that they hadn't found the car that the perpetrator was driving. So while they know who he is and they see that he drives a white Elantra, he's not really their suspect yet. Remember, a car expert had told the authorities originally that the car seen in the gas station surveillance footage on November 13th was a 2011 to 2013 Elantra. About a week later, on December 13th, Coburger's white Elantra, is captured on a license plate reader in Loma, Colorado. Note that Loma, Colorado would not be a place along the most direct route from Pullman to Pennsylvania. We don't yet know why Kohlberger drove to Loma, Colorado. Sometime between December 13th and 15th, Brian Kohlberger sets out with his father for a 2,500-mile road trip their home state of Pennsylvania. Perhaps the drive to Loma was the kickoff to this road trip. On December 15th, law enforcement in Indiana pull Koberger and his dad over twice for traffic violations. The first time is by a Hancock County Sheriff's Office official in a vehicle marked sheriff. The second time is by an Indiana state police officer. Both times, Koberger is not given a ticket and he is allowed to go along his merry way. The next day, December 16th, surveillance video captures Coburger's Elantra in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania, with just one occupant in it, a person who matches Brian Koberger's description. December 23rd, the day before Christmas Eve, law enforcement officials in Moscow who are working around the clock are granted a search warrant to review Koberger's cell phone records for the period between November 11th and November 14th, the weekend of the crime. Later that same day, a second search warrant is granted for Koberger's cell phone data from June 23rd, 2022, which I'm assuming is the date he opened his account with AT&T, up until the current date, which would have been December 23rd. Four days later, on December 27th, Pennsylvania agents recover trash from Koberger's parents' home, and they send it to the Idaho State Lab for testing. A day later, on December 28th, the Idaho State Lab reports that a DNA profile from that item pulled out of the Coburger's trash matches the mystery DNA from the crime scene. That would be the DNA on the sheath. The DNA from Pennsylvania identifies Brian Koberger's father, Michael, as the father of the person whose DNA is on the leather sheath. Bingo. The DNA along with the cell phone records related to Koberger's phone showing him near the girl's house on 12 occasions and surveillance footage of what appears to be his white Elantra, without the front license plate near the crime scene during the time the crime went down, tells the cops that they have their man. Two days later, on December thirtieth at one thirty a.m. in the morning, Koberger is ripped out of his warm bed at his parents' house in an FBI raid and arrested. If he is the perpetrator, I kind of hope he pooped his pants when he heard the glass in the front door shattering as the agents rammed their way in. December 30th is also when Kohlberger's apartment in Pullman was searched. Back to the neighbor, he told the Idaho statesman that he was in his home country for WSU's winter break when he heard that the cops had arrested a suspect in connection with with the Moscow case. He said that a friend of his posted a message in a group WhatsApp thread. His friend mentioned that the suspect lived in his same apartment complex. When the neighbor read that, he googled the case and saw Koberger's face. He said it was a shocking moment, and it's still very shocking to see Koberger's picture in the news. The last time this neighbor saw Koberger was either the last week of November or the first week of December, two or three weeks after the crime. The neighbor said he and Koberger greeted each other in passing, and he didn't notice or remember anything different about Koberger from that interaction. Koberger suggested at some point to this guy that they go on a hike together sometime. As they strolled the complex's parking lot at the end of the fall semester, the neighbors said he and Koberger talked over the sounds in the area of college students socializing. The neighbor told the Idaho statesman, and I quote, Many people here were partying, and you could hear it all over the city. He said he was not into partying. He said they're wasting their time, something like that. End quote. Koberger also spoke to this neighbor about his diet, telling the guy that he ate only one meal per day. This reminds me of what clinical psychologist Dr. Gary Brucato said on Surviving the Survivor about a criminal profile of the person who committed the crime. Brucato said this before Koberger was arrested and before Koberger's name was even known. He said that this person would be someone who led a very regimented and mechanical lifestyle. Eating one meal a day, attending graduate classes, doing homework, writing papers, grading your own students' work, while also finding time to maybe plan a crime and drive over to Moscow to window peep, maybe, would require a regimented lifestyle, right? But again, Koberger is innocent until proven guilty. The neighbor said over the course of the conversations he had with Koberger, which included discussions of their areas of research in separate WSU doctoral programs, he couldn't recall Koberger ever smiling or laughing. The neighbor said, and I quote, he was kind of serious, a very serious person, end quote. So this neighbor was contacted by the Moscow Police Department last week after they found his cell phone number in Koberger's phone. Per the neighbor, the investigators asked about, and I quote, Just how we met each other, what was his personality, these kinds of things, end quote. Per the statesman, Moscow Police Captain Anthony Dollinger would not confirm that investigators contacted and interviewed this neighbor, citing the gag order that's in place. The neighbor told the statesman that he provided the cops with a screenshot of his and Koberger's brief text thread, which included just two messages, starting off with the man confirming his phone number to Koberger after their August walk. The screenshot reviewed by the statesman included a phone number with an Eastern Washington area code, with the last four digits, 8458. So that is indeed Brian Koberger's phone number because those are the same four digits that were identified in the probable cause affidavit. One of the texts from Koberger to the neighbor from September 21st reads, and I quote, Hey neighbor, how's your semester so far? End quote. The neighbor said he was too busy to reply at the time and then later forgot about it the two didn't text ever again. The Statesman article then says this, and I quote, The neighbors said he didn't return to Pullman until after investigators performed a search of Coburger's apartment on December 30th, end quote. We still don't know what the investigators were looking for in that search of Coburger's apartment. I'm assuming probably some black clothes, maybe some Vans tennis shoes, maybe a sharp-edged object. Nor do we know what they found, and that's because a Whitman County Superior Court judge sealed those search warrants until March 1st of 2023. By the way, another neighbor of Coburger's named Angela Alvarez said Coburger was a night owl who generally kept to himself. She said that he was frequently gone and that she'd rarely see him before midnight. She said he would usually park his white Elantra right in front of her unit. She stated this about that situation, and I quote, I always see his headlights flash in my front windows, end quote. It's not looking like she's going to see those headlights anytime soon. So that article in the Idaho Statesman was jam-packed. I'll leave a link to it in the description. The pattern I see in terms of who Brian Koberger befriended in Pullman seems to be all male. The person who early on said he would do late night jogs with Koburger was a guy. The neighbor who seems to have the most interactions with Koberger is also a guy. When a female neighbor who lived below Coburger spoke about him, it sounded like she was afraid to approach him, to ask him to please not vacuum or run his food disposal late at night. She said she has young kids, so it was a problem. This female never spoke to Koberger. She said she was afraid he would turn around and complain about her kids crying. But I do wonder if Koberger gave off a colder vibe to this lady. He seems to find guys easier to approach and talk to. But of course, we only know what we're hearing from a smattering of these neighbors. I think Brian Koberger's problems run deep. Understatement of the year, and some of them are definitely in the realm of how he interacts with, and how he views, and how he treats women. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, do me a favor, smash the like button, subscribe to my channel, leave me a comment, and I'll see you next time.
1: How y'all doing today? Good, good. Take a look at your driver's license real quick if I could. See, he's right up on that van, man. You right up on the back end of that van. Hold you over for tailgating. Is this your car? Okay, cool. Where are you headed? Well, um, Well, we're coming from WSU and we're standing early. What's WSU? University. University, basically. And we university listening to this incident that was the That is SWAT team and So we're. Okay, I, I'm having a hard time hearing you because of the traffic. So you're coming from Washington State University? Yeah. And you're going where? Oh. We're going to be going to Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. So we're a little. We're slightly <laughs> clutch. because we're for hours. hours. Hours, days. Hours. Well, yeah. almost a day Okay. So what did you say about some SWAT team thing or Yeah, thing? there was yeah, there was this mass shooting and everything. We don't Wh- it's where? where? Well, good. Interesting. Well, it's horrifying. It's- it's just the university, you mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so, no, I mean? So, y'all work at the university there? Or? I actually do work there. Oh. Okay. 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 Yeah, I hadn't heard about that incident just yesterday or? No. this about an hour and a half ago, we're still wrapping it up. I'm not sure there's two shoes because they did shoot somebody. Let's see. And then if you don't know about that actually. Well, were there Interesting. Wow. Okay. So do me a favor and don't follow too close, okay? All right. Thank you. Appreciate you.